Hello. Thanks so much for joining us today. The Bible reading for this message is taken from 1 John, chapter 4, from verse 7 to verse 12. And I'm going to read that for us today. 1 John, chapter 4, verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. We love to watch love, to talk about love, to think about love, and to sing about love. But what does it actually mean? I don't know that we often think deeply about what love really is. I catch myself throwing around the L world in a variety of disconnected situations because in the moment that word seems appropriate. I love this beach. I love this glass. I love this beer. I love my children. I love that holiday. I love my dogs. I love my wife. I love pizza. In fact, I did it at the very beginning of this video when I said we love to watch love. We love to listen to love. We love to sing about love. We do that kind of thing all the time. It would seem that for a subject as important as enduring as love, we might want to get a handle on it. We might want to make sure that we know what we're actually saying and that we actually mean what it is that we're saying. In 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13, we read, And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. You see, you could make a case that love is the very meaning of life. Jesus said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, love as the meaning of life is especially true for Christians. Remember, we serve and worship a God who says that he is love, 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. Jeremiah 32, verse 18, the God who shows faithful love to thousands. Psalm 136, verse 1, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Or Psalm 36, verses 7 to 9, how priceless is your faithful love, God. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They are filled with the abundance of your house. You let them drink from your refreshing stream. For the wellspring of life is with you. By means of your light we see light. And that's all bound up in the priceless, faithful love of God. He is the source and the truest expression of love. Because everything that God does is love. And we can go even further than that, because God has told us that we can know what love is by looking at the doing and the dying of Jesus for sinners like us. By this we know what love is, 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, that he laid down his life for us. At its very core, then, our understanding of love must carry with it 
the, the gospel. It must be reflective of God's love, particularly in and through the message of the gospel. We've been given the ultimate demonstration of love, Romans 5 verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So as we think about love this Christmas, as we meditate on these words in 1 John 4 verse 9, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. So he sent him into the world at this Christmas time. What then is this love that we speak of? Well, I will give you a definition at the end because if we're going to understand love, um, we're going to need a little bit of a definition. But the Bible doesn't go to give us a definition. Uh, when the apostles wrote about love, uh, they didn't go and consult their Hebrew dictionary or their Aramaic dictionary or their Greek dictionary. In order to understand love, we have to look at a person. Not as love as a concept or a theory or a word study, but actually look at a person. We have to look at the life and the teaching of the one who was born at Christmas to fully understand and appreciate love. And the impact that I hope that this will have on us is to expand and extend our own ability to both think about love, communicate love, and live a life of love towards God and towards one another. So the first thing we need to see is that Jesus taught that the primary outward expression of our love for God will be our love for people. So that means for Jesus that love is an action. It's something that we do. It's not something that we feel. The feelings are fine as long as they lead us towards activity to others. There's an emptiness in our words if we say that we love, but then we're not moved to act. And Jesus taught and demonstrated this in his life over and over. When Jesus was confronted with physical need, he always sought to alleviate that need. His healings was a sign and revelation of his identity. It was a foreshadowing of his unbreaking a broken world. But it was also an act of love towards the individuals who experienced that healing. Sometimes we take the individual out of the story and just look for the sign that Jesus was bringing when he brought about and did these miracles and these healings. But you've got to remember that every time he did that, it wasn't in a laboratory, it wasn't on test subjects, it was a real human being who suffered in real physical or emotional ways, and Jesus healed them. That love that he demonstrated was both on a spiritual and a physical level. And you can think about when Jesus healed the paralyzed man, he both forgave him his sin and he healed him physically. Uh, furthermore, uh, when we see Jesus confronted by death, when Lazarus died, Jesus wept. When Peter denied Jesus three times after his resurrection, Jesus restored him. He always um, demonstrated that love in action, in relationships. The second thing that we learn about love as we think through Jesus' life and look at his life and his teaching is that love will seek other people's goods. Love will seek other people's well-being without any expectation of return of that love. There is no reciprocity when it comes to the love that Jesus demonstrated in his life. 
Jesus said this uh, once to a host when he was at a dinner. When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Jesus always moved towards the poor and hurting and outcast people, the people who could provide no benefit for Jesus. At the Last Supper, Jesus got down and he washed the disciples' feet as an act of service. And when Peter said, I, I want to do this, I want to wash your feet, Jesus said to him, you can't, and he wouldn't let him. Uh, Jesus moved towards the forgotten ones, the people who would usually fall through the cracks. Uh, we read further that if anyone has, uh, sorry, in 1 John, we read, If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Love moves us to seek other people's goods and other people's well-being while we empty ourselves to meet that need. And it doesn't expect anything in return. Thirdly, the ultimate standard of love is how you treat the person that you cannot stand. Jesus said uh, that we are to love our enemies and we are to pray for those who persecute us. So that's the, sort of the ultimate test of love. How do you treat the person that you really, really, really don't like? And Jesus called us to love them. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, we read, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. You shall love your enemy and do good, pray for those who persecute you, expecting nothing in return. This enemy-embracing love imitates the very character of God himself. And Jesus actually goes so far as to make himself an enemy of the leaders of the people of Israel at the time of his life. He accuses them of all sorts of things. He goes and he overthrows uh, the tables in the temple. And he really uh, gets the people to hate him just because he spoke the truth. He becomes their enemy. It wasn't that he made himself their enemy. They, they made him the enemy. He was uh, God come into the world and they rejected him outright. But instead of Jesus, the Son of God, the all-powerful one, the king of the entire universe, instead of him attacking them and overthrowing them, which was completely within his power, he allowed them to crucify him, to kill him on a cross. 1 John 3.16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Jesus died for the selfishness and the corruption and the sin and the rebellion of his enemies because he loved them. In Luke 23, 34, 
when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he said these words, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. You see, that is the extent that love goes, that it loves its enemies. Now, you might not have enemies, but there certainly will be people in your life that you don't really like very much. You struggle with them when you're in their company. They can be incredibly difficult. The real test of love, and maybe this is what you need to hear as you go into this week and as you go into those uh, Christmas meals that you're going to have, the real test of love is how you treat and love the person who you don't like, you don't get along with, and maybe you can't even stand at the moment. Fourthly, love does not resist, but it overcomes evil with good. Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 38, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist the evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Romans chapter 12, verse 21, Paul would write, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. In Acts 2, verse 22, when Peter was uh, preaching uh, that first sermon at Pentecost, he says, Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. A little bit later on, he says, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and God. So here's the thing. We crucified him. But God, according to his uh, deliberate plan and foreknowledge, uh, let him be put to death by being nailed to a cross. And God raised him. God overcame evil with good. That's the demonstration that we see in Jesus' life and in his death and in his resurrection. And that is what we're called to emulate. Fifthly and finally, Jesus taught that the way in which the world will know that we follow him will be seen in the way that we love one another. John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, a new command I give you, Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. For Jesus, love was an action. It is a choice that you make to seek the well-being of people other than yourself. After the resurrection, Jesus and the apostles claimed that it was the power of God's love for the world that was revealed in Jesus' life and death and resurrection. It was the power of God's love for the world that we see in Jesus. 1 John 4 verse 9, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us 
and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for us. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. So in light of all of this, those five things, here's a short definition. Love is joyfully and willfully sacrificing yourself to serve others by doing them good. This is what we see in the gospel, and this is what followers of Jesus endeavor to do as we respond to Jesus and his love towards us. He loved us first, and so we respond in love to him, and we demonstrate that love by loving others. The gospel is the most heart-melting and liberating truth it models and motivates true love to us. And this type of love that we see in the person of Jesus is total acceptance in light of full disclosure. God knows how sinful we are, but accepts us based upon the doing and the dying of Jesus. As has been said by others before, we are more sinful than we can ever have imagined, but we are more loved than we can ever hope. And this type of love, it brings tremendous freedom into our lives. It brings freedom from trying to impress others because we're securely accepted by Jesus. We love out of a place of acceptance. It gives freedom from trying to gain from others because we have been abundantly satisfied in Jesus Christ. We love out of a position of satisfaction. We are given freedom from trying to dominate others because we have been arrested by grace and submit to Christ, and so we can love out of a position of submission. It gives us the freedom to sacrifice for others, because Christ has sacrificed for us, and so we love by sacrificing. It gives us the freedom to serve others rather than ourselves, because Christ has served us, and so we love by serving. Well, this might be a popular sentiment, it certainly is an accurate description of love, Love never takes, it always gives. Contemporary understandings of love might object, and, and they provide a, a contrast to what we read in the Bible. The world says, love for the purpose of self, but the gospel says, love at the expense of self. The world says, what can I gain from you? But the gospel says, what can I give to you? The world pursues love for the fulfillment of self and is left empty. Christians pursue love at the expense of self, and they are made full. The gospel teaches us that we are at the same time intimately known by the one who knows all things, and infinitely loved by the one whose uh, grace is never stopping, never giving up, and never ending. And so this brings us to a place of security, assurance and freedom. We don't need to use people to meet our needs because our needs are met. We are made full having been loved by God himself. And so we need not love out of insecurity because we are truly secure in God. We are free to love others out of the overflowing security of being loved instead of nagging out of insecurity and personal need. 
Now, of course, we can't just flip a switch and just do this. It takes time, um, like your ham or your turkey or whatever it is that you're cooking, just marinating over and over and, and, and basking in the gospel of grace and being covered again and again in it. This is why the Apostle John tells us that our cues for loving one another come from having been loved by Jesus. Jesus is the model and the motivation for Christian love. Whatever kind of love we're talking about, it is always informed by and calibrated by God as demonstrated in the life, teaching, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Our love, like Jesus' love, is other-oriented, God-glorifying, and therefore will be personally gratifying and joy-producing. So as you say, I love you today and every day, make sure to remember what it means. It is a weighty and wonderful phrase. It should be known, felt, and said in truth. And I wonder if you can respond, if you have responded to God's love for you, if you will respond by God's love towards you, by telling him that you love him, and by showing that love for God in your love for others, in your willingness to empty yourself and pour out yourself in sacrificial love uh, to meet the needs of those around you, to put aside yourself and to humbly love those whom God has put in your path, not seeking self, uh, not seeking security, not seeking your own personal gain, but always seeking their well-being. This is how we know what love is, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Will you emulate that by laying down your life for others, by going the full distance of whatever it takes uh, to bring them fulfillment and purpose, uh, to help them to become the people that God has created them to be. This is no small task, but we are motivated by the one who has shown us what love is. This is how we have come to know love, that he laid down his life for others. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Would you bow with me and let's pray. Heavenly Father, please help us to love as you have loved. And please enable us to respond to your love towards us by loving you. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.